Clip City is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. With GameTime, you can buy your tickets in just two taps. You know what I wish I could do in just two taps? Clean my house. Maybe I need a Roomba. Two taps, house is clean, watch League Pass all day. But until then, I've got Game Time. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. If you cannot tell, I am a little under the weather, so bear with me here. Uh, I, I might be coughing a little bit today. Uh, that's what a nine-day road trip in the coldest cities in North America will do to you. Uh, but I'm pleased to be joined today by my buddy, Justin Russo. You know him as Fly By Night on Twitter. Uh, he's a Clippers analyst, writer, tweeter, breaking down uh, you know video and stuff on over tweets and um, does a great job, a great follow. If you're not following him already, um, I think one of the best people covering the Clippers right now. So, uh, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? Other than being under the weather. Yeah, man. <laughs> Well, it's like I, I've basically been sick for like two and a half weeks, and it, it's like every time I'm I'm starting to do better, they, they go on the road, and then it's just it, like going back to like that Dallas trip was like when it really was like kind of starting, and then they went on that trip, and then that just took it to a different level, and then nine days in uh, Milwaukee, D.C., Indiana, and Toronto, just not not the best place to be. It's like the NBA scheduled it just so that you would be sick during this time of year. I think so. I think so. And I, I skipped the Minnesota trip. I had to. You know, I feel like whenever you personally return to Minnesota, they set up a welcome wagon for you to where your hotel room is going to have the worst stay that you've ever encountered. And every flight you're ever going to have in that great airport is going to be the worst flight you've ever had. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I will say as an update, I don't think I'd publicly talked about this yet. Um, I did go to the Minnesota airport. I flew in. Well, I, I tweeted about that, but I, I, I flew in and took um, uh, like a connecting flight to Milwaukee through Minnesota, but I had a almost four hour layover. Uh, so I went to the Delta terminal. It's actually uh, the, or sorry, the Delta Sky Lounge was my first time in a sky lounge and it was solid. Like it, it was, um, I mean, I immediately had to walk like almost 25 minutes off of the plane to get to the sky lounge, uh, which completely validates all my criticism of the airport. But, uh, other than the like two mile walk to the sky lounge, uh, in my terminal, um, it, it was fine. I don't know. I mean, it's a nice airport. I, I, I get the whole, like, awards thing behind it because it, it it is nice it's just like it's basically the mall of america of airports like it's just uh, like unnecessarily huge i, I just oh you know. so it's it's just 
like they made it so big that it's almost well, like yeah, hard and to navigate. Exactly. And I and I've had I've actually had multiple people in the media privately reach out to me because they, they, they don't want to they don't want that smoke with Minnesota that that I, <laughs> I guess I have. You and no one wants that. But they're like, I completely agree with you. Like, if if you have like a connecting flight that's like under like if you have a connection that's under forty five minutes, you're like not making it in Minnesota because of how damn big like the the airport is. And that's crazy. So, I mean, that, that's my thing is it's when I'm traveling on the road, you know, sure. If I'm, well, I, I don't know why I would go to Minnesota in the first place. But <laughs> during if during I, the winter of all times too. Yeah. Like if I, if I'm going to Minnesota, like, and, or, you know, I, I get there early and, you know, I have two hours to kill at the airport. Sure. It's, 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 you know, one of the nicer ones to have to kill time at. But if I'm on the road traveling for, you know, a road trip and I have an hour connection, a 45 connection, a 30 minute connection. Like I'm not trying to walk two miles to, to get to my next gate. Like it's, there's, you know, and the, like Portland is a great example of like Portland is very small, very compact. You're usually, even if you're, you know, different gates, it's not that far to connect, but like usually within the same gate, like Minnesota, it's like you get there, it's, three gates away and each gate is like a mile and it's just like I, this is ridiculous but of course we had to start this with that um <laughs> i mean my my craziest flight stories i flew into dallas and got confused because they tram you to where your bags are which in i dallas? found in in dallas uh in oh, dc yeah, okay, okay. Okay. yeah like yeah. they tram you to where your bags are and i thought that was like the weirdest thing i actually i i have not been to that airport i've only been to uh reagan when I've gone. Oh, okay. Who, there's so many airports. Yeah, no, DC has like three. Um, See, I didn't even know that. I only knew of yeah, Dallas. Yeah, uh, DC right, has three big ones. <laughs> Houston has a couple big ones. Uh, yeah, so, some some cities only have one. Some have like multiple. Ooh, um, real quick, here's a trivia question for you. Do you know what is the busiest airport in America? I feel like I've heard this before, but it's not. Well, it's not LAX. No. Um, I is it Minnesota? No, it's actually Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. It's I, the I Delta like I, hub. Yeah, I feel like I'd actually heard that before, but that it's yeah. I, I Atlanta's okay. Uh, it's also kind of one of the bigger ones that it's pretty spread out, but not as bad as Minnesota. Um, <laughs> so let let's talk about the Clippers. Um, you know, the, this is what we're here for. Uh, right now, they are nineteen and seven. They are. Eighth in offensive rating, sixth in defensive rating, and fourth in net rating. So the defense has finally passed the offense. It's about time. Uh, the defense has been better than the offense for like a month. Uh, it feels so that way, it, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's it was it was appropriate that it finally passed it in the uh, in the rankings. But just as a general kind of where the Clippers are at right now. You know, they're, they're three and one on this six game road trip. They started the road trip with that shellacking in Milwaukee. Um, I thought it was actually a pretty good thing for them because I felt like, you know, they, they'd had some not great losses, uh, but, but they had some excuses for them. And, and really the only like recent loss that wasn't great was the San Antonio one mm-hmm. um, where they just were so cold. Um, you know, they didn't play great overall, but like, you know, Lou couldn't hit a shot. PG couldn't hit a shot. And that was just kind of a weird offensive flow night for them. But 
outside of that game, most of the losses were, were pretty excusable um, unless I'm missing one off the top of my head. But because you had, you know, Kawhi load managing yeah. and then you had the, the Phoenix stinker and uh, there was a New Orleans game, the, but like that's New Orleans, Paul's yeah. first game back and, and they were Kawhi. depleted. I mean, that, that's yeah. the other thing that we have to keep in mind that I, I tried to talk about after the Milwaukee loss was like, you know, this isn't the real Clippers team versus the Bucks. Like they're missing three of their 10 rotation players, including Landry Shamit, who I think is probably the fifth most important Clipper, arguably um at behind the the you know the top four scores so i probably wouldn't disagree with you on that it's close i mean it's close like you could you could put pat there you could put mo there um you could put jermichael there if he's actually like shooting above 40 percent on threes Um, like it's it's very hard to quantify how much a guy who is a gravity guy offensively from beyond the arc like it's hard to quantify how much he means when he's not like a 20 point per game score or something. But I think you've seen a little bit of the offensive downtick with Landry out, like with him in there, like teams are game planning to stop him. You could literally see that early in the season, even with just Kawhi playing teams would swarm him on the perimeter. That's why he wasn't getting as many open threes as people thought he should be getting. But when he's been out, you've kind of seen how much they've missed his movement. Yeah, no, um, I, 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 and I, I think, one of the things I've, I've talked about on here and what was talking about before the season is m- one of my few offensive concerns with this team. Cause obviously, I mean, they're, they're the only team in the league with four guys averaging, you know, 19 or more points. Like they, they clearly have two top 10 guys, if not top seven, eight guys. And, and those guys, while amazing defenders are obviously superstar offensive players, um, and then you have Lou and Trez off the bench as probably the two best bench scorers in basketball. Like those, you know, those four alone should have you, you know, give you at minimum like a top ten, top eight offense. Uh, it's really then just kind of about the surrounding pieces. But Stop. to me, the the thing that kind of concerned me a little bit with this roster was the shooting, where you know, outside of Kawhi and and, and PG, who um, you know. Well, Kawhi's had a bit of a down year from the three-point line, but normally, you know, both above-average shooters, I I just was talking about it um, on the Fox pregame show that, I mean, you can make the case right now with Steph out, Paul is the best high-volume shooter in the league. You know, he's shooting, I have to see right now what his percentage is at. Um, I think he's at 40 now, like just, I think it's like 39.6 or something. Yeah, he's he's at Um, 39.9. But... But on uh, what is it? On nine point nine attempts a game. Um, yeah, he's so if you, if you, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he he's. But if you if you look at the last you know last season, he was third in three point attempts, mm-hmm. uh, but shot thirty nine percent, and really only Steph was like the better. You know, obviously Steph is Steph, but you know, he he was a better high volume shooter. But outside of Steph, like everyone within that range was shooting a worse percentage than Paul. And then going to this season, uh, he's picked up right where he left off in, in terms of volume and his three point shooting has been over 40% for a bit. And, and now it just kind of dipped, but I think, you know, h- him and Kawhi are, you know, kind of their own thing. But outside of that, I was like, who do you trust on this team to actually consistently knock down threes? Like Landry's the one guy, uh, Pat is, you know, <laughs> I mean, P- Pat has been overall positive, but he, he has these lulls where he just goes like weeks 
and it feels like forever that he just can't make threes. And same one thing the, to start this season. Well, yeah, one of the interesting things is this happened literally last season for him. And it was almost the exact same amount of games. Yeah, like he the first, I think, 11 games, 11 or 12 games this season, he was – it was so bad. I think he was shooting like 16%. Mm-hmm. And then the last 12 or 13, he's been great. Like – I think I wonder for him personally if it's like a rhythm thing where like finally he gets his legs under him, whereas for other guys they either have it or they don't. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't dare ask Pat because he'd, he'd probably <laughs> eat my head. But um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I, I I I think I agree with you though. Um, he he's a very rhythm shooter because he's like either so good or so bad. He's like either shooting 45% or like 20%. There's no like middle ground with him. Um, but, but okay, so Pat, we know he's streaky, but overall he trends positive. But I was like, okay, Jermichael Green is not a proven shooter. Like, you know, he, he's developed it over the last couple of years and was obviously a great shooter with the Clippers shooting over 40% uh, b- between the regular season and the playoffs. But, you know, was that going to translate? And we've now kind of seen uh, Jermichael is shooting – where is he on here? He's shooting. 38. Yeah, 38%. But that feels – I mean, that I think feel like that's been trending down. Um, what went, I mean, he's, he's obviously missed the last few games uh, and might be out a, a bit longer. But, I mean, lo- looking at it now, so you got Pat Patterson at 40%. Um, I didn't even think he was going to play this season. <laughs> no, so yeah. That, that's, that didn't that's been in. the odd one. Yeah, and he's he's been up and down a bit. Um, you know, he's had his stretches where I think I tweeted about – he, he was shooting um, under 30% over like a 10 game stretch uh, on threes. So like he, he's really come on strong the last like six, seven games. Uh, PG's at 40%, Jamichael 38, Derek Walton, the, the unsung hero of the season, 37.5%. Uh, but, but then you get into Landry's at 36%, which is, you know, around league average and, and not where we expect him to be. I think he'll, uh, finish closer to 40% by the end of the year, lose at 35%. And, and that's the one where I'm like, I mean, I, I've, w- you know, I don't think we've really talked about this, but I've been kind of vocal on the, I'm a little concerned of you're playing, you know, against 90% of the league, you can get away with Lou and Trez. But when you are playing the top teams in the league and it's tough because Lou is so valuable in the pick and roll and and he really is probably the most natural distributor the team has. So like you kind of need him out there for that. But I do feel like there's some Westbrook Harden stuff where it's like Lou off the ball is not great. And he's not really a spot up shooter. He's not going to run off like pin downs or or do stuff like that off the ball. So he he kind of has always needed the ball. And and that's been partially why he's been a bench player is because He's been on teams where they've had better ball handlers or kind of better lead guys. Um, now we've seen the last couple of years what he's been able to do as that guy, but that's been for you know teams competing for the eight seed, not teams competing for a championship. So I just wonder, like for Lou uh, at thirty five percent, I think that's solid. It, it's respectable. It, it, you can't leave him open, but and those a lot of those are some hard shots that he's taking and a mm-hmm. shot clock, step backs, whatever. But I do kind of, you know, he's a guy that I'm like, I, I want to see him a little bit higher of a percentage. Um, then you get into, you know, Pat's at 33 with how good he's been shooting. Rodney's at 31. Jerome is at 25.6. 
Terrence Mann at 22. I miss Mo Hark- uh, Mo's at 34. So I guess I, I was kind of concerned. I was like, you know, Jermichael doesn't have a proven track record. Mo and Rodney are inconsistent shooters. Uh, Jerome is not put it together as a shooter. And then you have Zubats and Trez who heading into the season were saying they're going to shoot threes, but that hasn't really translated over. So um, I don't know. Wh- where are you at with the shooting of, of this team and any concerns, a- any fit concerns? And, um, you know, <coughs> I-, I feel like that that's where they really miss Landry. And, and that's where I think he- he's really going to help, especially since he hasn't played with Paul. We, ha- we have yet to see that. And I think his gravity with Paul is going to be huge. You know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you, you say the numbers, and the numbers are interesting because you look at it and it's like they're a solid to good three-point shooting team. I don't know where they rank the season among teams in terms of three-point percentage, but, like, the numbers themselves are like, okay, that's solid. Like, that's like Lou takes a lot of uh, highly contested ones, ones where he's pulling up, stuff like that. So, you know, and hit like I think this season I was just looking it up uh, earlier. I think Lou was shooting like forty-seven percent on wide open threes, and uh, Landry himself was also at forty-seven. So it's like they need to figure out, like especially when Landry comes back, they need to figure out a marriage on how to get Lou to actually move off the ball because you're right, off the ball. He's kind of he's very hardenish in where he will stand there and kind of just watch everyone else do something, and I see how that's I see how that can happen. You have Paul George, you have Kawhi Leonard. Most of the time with great players, you end up just kind of standing by and watching them do their thing. And I think they need to figure out how to kind of get Lou to move a little bit more off the ball. And when Landry comes back, maybe Landry takes some of the Lou minutes to uh, like, because Lou's Lou's getting up there. I mean, I shouldn't say that in terms of like, oh my God, he's thirty five, which he's not. It's just he's he's. I think he's second now on the team in minutes. They've kind of toned his minutes back a little bit, but they're gonna have to continue doing that because you want his legs fresh for the postseason where he hasn't been great at times. I think this past postseason he had a couple off games outside of like I think. Game two and game five, he was really good, if I remember correct, because well, those were the wins, so I'm assuming he'd be good. But um, Jermichael's been great on wide open threes, but obviously he's not playing right now due to injury. Landry's been great on him, but he's not playing. And you hit the nail on the head. Not only are Roddy Magruder and Mo Harkless inconsistent as three-point shooters, those are the guys that teams are going to make beat them. And you have to. We saw the Clippers force Houston to have their role guys beat them when they were trapping James Harden uh, as soon as he crossed half court. Like, Toronto played Kawhi and PG. They they blitzed them on pick and rolls. They were defending. As they would as they would blitz the ball handler, they would defend the other one with two defenders off the ball. They were forcing role players to beat them. And it reminded me a little bit of how teams played against Steph in the postseason where they blitzed him and he had to hit the short roll, which was Draymond usually all the time. And the short roller had to make the absolute perfect decision every time. And that puts stress on Zubots and it puts stress on Harold to make the right decision every time. Mm-hmm. And in the corners and on the wing as outlets, you need guys who can shoot. And if they're not knocking them down at a high rate, teams are going to keep trapping. And that's just the reality of the situation, especially not just in the regular season, but when we move to the postseason. Yeah. And I was actually talking to 
um, a, a scout in Indiana about because I, I've been fascinated. Like to me, you know, th- there's certain things that I'm fascinated by with, with this team because we I think we, we still haven't seen them at full strength, and we have not seen the ten like. They're in the playoffs. They're, you know, all right, first rounds, whatever, but like semifinals, conference finals, finals. Like we have not seen the nine, the nine players, maybe even 10, but probably, you know, eight, nine that are going to play in those minutes as of right now. You know, they could make a trade. They could get Andre Gudala, like whatever. But as currently constructed, the eight to nine guys that are going to be playing in the, you know, the, the semifinals and beyond, we have yet to see that team together. So like, you know, it just makes it so difficult to, I think looking at, uh, I mean, I could be mistaken here, but like looking at the rest of the top teams in the league, the Lakers, the the Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics, um, the Rockets, on and on, you know, Nuggets, whatever. I think all those teams have had their playoff rotations, at least, you know, for stretches that they've had games, you know, five games, 10 games, whatever where they've basically been healthy with their full projected rotation. The Clippers have not had that once this season. So, you know, again, like Landry is in somewhere in that top six, seven uh, of the team, and he's yet to play with Paul. And and those are two huge pieces. So it's just so hard to evaluate them. But I do think to your point, like we have yet to really see the kind of schematics play out in a potential playoff way. Um, whereas, you know, just in the regular season, it's so hard to attack a team like that, like a playoff matchup. You know, it, it's just, you have a, usually have a couple days to scout. Um, you know, maybe if it's a big matchup, you're going to be scouting a week out or something. But even then, like the way you present the information to the players, the way the coaches kind of digest it, like it's not the same as a playoff matchup. So we have yet to really see teams kind of, we've seen a little bit, like you just mentioned the Toronto game, but like, We've got to see teams go full playoffs against the Clippers and really try to pick at their weaknesses. And I, I just, I do wonder, I have my concerns about Lou and Trez defensively in the biggest moments against the best teams. Um, and, and maybe their offense is so good that it kind of negates that um, or, or it, it's just a, a net plus because of how good they are offensively. But if you're telling me that, you know, it's, it's the Lakers in the conference finals and, you know, you're asking me to to trust Lou and Trez, uh, you know, to make rotations against Danny Green on the three point line, or to box out AD uh, and and you know make those are like I just don't trust it as of right now. Uh, so I have my concerns about them defensively. But I was talking to a scout, and and he said he thinks that Trez is a regular season player and a first couple rounds player. But once you get to the conference finals and finals, that's where he thinks Zubot steps in and Zoo is actually like the closing guy. And I thought that was interesting because I hadn't really heard that from an NBA person. Definitely have not heard that from from the Clippers people. You know, they've been very pro Trez. But I just thought that was an interesting kind of way to look at it because that's kind of how I felt where I'm like, if you're playing and I thought we saw it in the Milwaukee game a little bit where, uh, you know, Zoo played more than he kind of normally has against Brooke Lopez and I, I just kind of wonder in a potential Lakers matchup, in a potential Bucks matchup, and, and just thinking big picture here, because uh, I, th- I think with this team, you, you want to think big picture, obviously, because of their expectations and kind of what they're you know setting their sights on. Um, I, I just wonder how how they kind of figure that out at the end of games, and 
um, you know, is it Zoo? Is it Trez? Is it Jamichael? You know, that, that's another one that that has to be considered with, with the way he played in the playoffs and um, him closing games. Like, I don't know, where, where do you fall in all of that? And, and, you know, now that we're almost 30 games in the season, do you have more confidence in, in Lou and Trez closing games uh, at the highest level or, uh, you know, maybe Trez, especially defensively? Like, how do you feel about that at, at this stage of the season? So it's interesting because last season they were so good down the stretch of game. Like they were the best clutch team in the NBA, Mm -hmm. like by far. It was insane. But I think with this team, like last season's team is last season's team. I think that needs to be the thing that we start thinking of is that team's in the review. Like they don't matter anymore. For this season, you have Paul George and you have Kawhi Leonard. Those are your two primary closers. And Lou is is the third guy. Now, this is the most important question to me. Can you, or not not can you, but should you play Lou and Trez down the stretch of games when it's the postseason? And I don't know. And I think that's what these next couple months are to figure out is, do we need to play them or can we sacrifice their minutes and get other guys? And like on a night in which Landry has it going and his gravity is a big deal, should we play him over Lou? I mean, he can handle the ball a little bit. Obviously, no one on the team is a better ball handler than Lou, but you can kind of give up some of that if you get the spacing. And with Trez, I thought Toronto, believe it or not, I thought Toronto was his best defensive game of the season. But how often are you going to get that? And that's that's another – like that's why I think the Toronto games and the Milwaukee games have been good for the team – because those are teams that have length, they hustle, they play very hard, they bring it on the defensive end, they get out in transition. That's like I know in the postseason, one of the thought processes is you're not going to be out in transition, everything bogs down. But there are transition games in the postseason in which teams can just run, 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 and those teams do it. Toronto and Milwaukee can do it. And the Clippers did a good job of holding down Toronto, but not Milwaukee. But I don't know going forward if playing Trez 32 minutes a night is, is the move. Um, the, the scout brought up an interesting point. I think Zubots might have to play more in the postseason, especially like if the team gets deeper into it. Because as it pertains to like the Lakers and the Bucks, there's Brooke Lopez, there's Robin Lopez, there's Dwight Howard, there's JaVale McGee. And obviously Anthony Davis plays the five for certain stretches, but I think those could be Montrez minutes or even obviously in other situations, but they're going to have to figure this out. And I think that's what Jermichael being out has kind of robbed them of because when you have Jermichael in there, you're able to get away with certain lineup configurations that you're not able to get away with when he's not in there. For instance, you can play him and Montrez together. You can play him and Zubats together. You can actually slide Kawhi down to the four and have Green be the center, which even gives their defense even more uh, switchability. But I don't know what their plan is because I don't think they know what it is. They've said they love Trez. Trez is their closer at the center spot. I get it. But maybe during the season they start trying to figure out new things like, okay, uh, like when they come, well, they're not going to play uh, Milwaukee anymore. They're done with them. But when they play Indiana again, if they play Sabonis and Turner together, maybe we see more of Harold and Zubats together. We saw them for a couple minutes in that game, which was actually, which went a lot better than I thought it was going to in their minutes together, which was good, which was nice to see. I just, 
it's hard for me to prognosticate what they're going to do because I don't think they know. And I think that's something that we have to acknowledge is I think they're just trying to figure it out on their own as well. And that's what the next couple months are for. And when they get to the postseason, I mean, if there are no trades, well, they might make a trade. Who knows? Um, they're going to have options. And I think that's the one thing with the roster that kind of got undersold in the offseason is there's a lot of versatility here. Like, they stocked up on wings, yes, but they stocked up on wings who can play, like, three spots. Like, we've seen Kawhi at the two, and maybe there's a lineup out there where you just – where they factor in and they just go, you know what? We can roll with Landry at point, Kawhi at, the, uh, Kawhi at the two, or even PG at the one, which is weird, but you can go super big with Har- with PG, Kawhi, Harkless, Green, and Harrell if you face a really lanky switching team. So I think they don't know what they want to do yet, and I think the injuries have robbed them of that. And I think the next couple months, especially when they get healthy or if they get healthy in that time, is to figure out what to do. Because they have three centers, Zubats, Harrell, and Green at times, and they need to figure out when and how to play each one. And that is the conundrum they're facing right now. Well, uh, we, we haven't even discussed this yet. I don't, I don't know if, if you've been on Twitter or, or saw this, but Lou's out tonight. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah, Lou's out. So he, he has a sore uh, right calf. Um, oh. To me, this is purely speculative, so don't anyone take this as reporting. I'm going to guess this is a load management game. Um, I don't – I know they, they've been concerned about Lou's minutes. He's played a lot more minutes than they have wanted to through this point of the season. So, you know, with the NBA's new rest policy, you have to list an injury unless you're just saying rest. And I, I think most players don't want to just say rest and, and kind of have that label on them. Uh, so my read here would be lose just taking a load management night off. Um, but <laughs> Pat's out, Landry's out, Jamichael's out. So now you, you're very shorthanded. <laughs> I, I'm like, who is Terrence Mann going from not playing? <laughs> is Terrence Mann going from like the fourth string point guard to <laughs> starting now? Or, or is Derek Walton Jr. going to start? Uh, although he pulled his hamstring against the Raptors, he, he's available for tonight. But um, you don't have Pat, Lou, or, or Landry, and that's kind of a problem. And, and the team already, on a minutes limit. Yeah, for, for a team light on ball handling and, and shooting. <laughs> oh, man, tonight's game is going to be super weird. That's that's man. I mean, you know what though? I'm a big proponent and just get your guys rest when you can. And so I'm fine. I'm fine with Lou taking a night off. It's not a big deal to me. I mean, with Kawhi and Paul playing, I think you kind of just assume Kawhi is not going to play tomorrow. So you can ride him for about 32, 33 minutes tonight and just see what happens. And maybe he and Paul are good enough, even with. Uh, the skeleton crew of guards to get a victory and just move on. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you were talking, well, we were DMing about Minnesota. Uh, so w- what do you think of that matchup tonight? Obviously, Carl Anthony Towns, he's cooled off a bit from that crazy start to the season, but he's still, um, I think, comfortably at that, you know, clear all-star top 20, if not top 15 guy in the league right now. Um, how do you feel about that matchup? Because he, on paper, is someone who could give, I mean, he has given the Clippers problems in the past. He, I think 
um, you know, going back to even last season uh, in, you know, I think they'll, they'll throw Zubats on him. They'll, they'll throw Trez, uh, you know, Jamichael, I think would would have gotten a lot of minutes on him tonight had he been available. Uh, but how do you feel about that matchup? Um, cause, cause that's really the, the one thing that concerns me, I guess, in, in this kind of matchup tonight is does towns go for 35, 40 points. And, and that's kind of how Minnesota is in this. Otherwise I'm not really concerned with the rest of the team. Yeah. Towns, towns, a monster. I don't think we've seen a big man like him, like on the offensive end, because you put him in the post. He's great. You put him spotting up from the top of the art. He's great. I mean, he, his improvements of a, as a passer have actually been pretty insane. Um, I've seen him make better passes and reads this season than I've ever seen, which is kind of scary out of a guy who I want to say he's only like 23 right now. Um, but Minnesota is a very weirdly troubling team for the Clippers, primarily because of Towns. And there's like Zubots can match up well with him size wise, but. Towns' ability to look kind of gangly, but then have a first step that just, like, other centers are just not ready for that. Like, he has a first step where if he's not getting around you, it's, and this sounds weird to say because he's only in his second year, but it's very Luka Doncic-ish, where he kind of uses his body to bully you into spots he wants and step backs, which we don't really see out of centers. Like, how many centers are shooting pseudo step-back threes? Not many. But town, or even any outside of Towns, but Towns will do it. And so you have to be prepared for that. And they've, they have a lineup that's good. I think it's like Culver, Graham, Wiggins, Covington, Towns. Like, they've played like 75 minutes. I think they're like plus 13 in net rating. And I think that's their starting lineup now. Because Covington plays a lot of four for them. I think he's played like 85% of his minutes there, actually. But um, Town, he knocks down open threes. He's great on catch and shoots. He's great on pull-ups, which is insane for a center. So they're going to have to figure out what to do with him when he's on the perimeter because you can't sag off of him like you could. Uh, to some degree, you could sag off Marcus Gasol because Marcus Gasol is not a super willing shooter. He can shoot it, but he's not like – He's not going out of his way to do it where Towns will. So the big key tonight for the Clippers, at least for their big men defensively, is you have to get up into Towns even at the three-point line. And if if the help side and backside defenders aren't paying attention and they're kind of focused on what's going on with Towns at the top, they'll get back cut. And you mm-hmm. can't let that happen. Because once you start letting back cuts happen, then everything else is going to open up. Because now you're worried about back cuts and everything else. Uh but you know what the weirdest thing about Minnesota is this year? They've been better with Wiggins on and Towns off than vice versa. That is weird. It it doesn't, that, make, doesn't sense. make sense. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. make sense. Like they're they're I mean, minus. I, I, what, what's the what's the minutes on that? Uh, two sixty three with Wiggins on, Towns off, and three twelve with Towns on, Wiggins off. Interesting. They've played four thirty two together. And they have a positive net rating together. I mean, it's 1.3, but it's still positive. You take what you can get, especially when you're Minnesota and you're not a great team. But, I mean, you know, it's weird, though, because, like, even with one off, the net rating isn't bad. Like, it's minus 4.8 with Towns on, Wiggins off, and it's minus 1.7 in the re- in the reverse. But for Minnesota, uh, they need minutes out of Culver. 
who hasn't shot well. They need Covington to keep up his shooting. I think he's at like 36%, 37% maybe this year. And he's a really good shooter. And he's kind of had a down start to the year there, or just slightly down. Um, Teague hasn't been great. I'm sure you saw the video of Cat reacting to Teague not passing him the ball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so who knows what's going on there? But uh, that's also one of the reasons why they made the, the change to Culver. Because Teague was kind of missing guys. Uh, I don't know if is Jake Lehman playing tonight. Uh, I think he's still out. I could be because he's been good I, for them. I haven't seen. He's been out like a while. Yeah, I think he's only played like fourteen games. But he's been good when he's played. Okogi defensively is good. Minnesota's a weird team though because they have a lot of one-way guys, and they're not great defensively, but they have good individual defenders. Like Covington's a monster defensively. Uh, Okogi's no, Jake, good. Jake, def- Jake Lehman's out. Jake Lehman's out. Okay. I, get, I mean, it sounds weird to say in a game the Clippers are going to be missing like six people, but that's a break for the Clippers. Uh, <laughs> but Culver is solid defensively. Travion Graham's good defensively. Uh, Okogi's solid. Covington's great. But, like, they're not a great defensive team. And it's just like yeah. one of those things where you don't know if it's because Towns isn't great defensively or anything, but at a certain point you'd assume that they put it together on that end of the court and they just haven't. So even with guys out for the Clippers, I feel like this is a game they could maybe outscore Minnesota, but it's going to be a little bit tough. Every Like a lot of guys are out. Like even if Lou wasn't out, it would still be a tough game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, j- just the, the loss of Pat, I, I think is, is, is that's big. a big one. Uh, but <laughs> Pat and Lou, on top of Landry Jermichael, um, you know, th- this would not surprise me if, if they lose this game. Like, I, I, I think they should win, but, you know, this is like with how depleted they are. I mean, if, if I just tweeted out, if you look at the rotation right now, um, I put Terrence in as starting, but, it, you know, who knows? Maybe it's maybe it's Derek. He, he's kind of leapfrog Terrence in the rotation. Uh, and I just don't know if. Doc would go from a guy like being the 15th man to just starting. Uh, he, he started Terrence a few games in the past um, when Kawhi's been out. When, when uh, So I, I I don't know. But if you go Zoo, Mo, Kawhi, PG, Ter- Terrence, um, ah, maybe you need more shooting. You might have to go with Derek uh, instead of Terrence. Um, but then look at the bench. It's Trez, Rodney, Rodney on a minutes restriction, Pat Patterson, uh, Derek or Terrence, uh, Jerome and Fee, <laughs> and then Mott. But I mean, I don't see Mott just with the way the rotation is. I, I don't see him playing uh, tonight unless it's like garbage time. So um, I, I'm just uh, like that bench is not real. Not, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could say not good. No one's going to take it in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like uh, Trez is going to be running pick and rolls with Rodney Magruder. Uh. Yeah, uh, Patrick Patterson might get some run tonight, like a solid amount. Even though I mean he's not a guard, but you never know. <laughs> They're gonna like it depends on how the game. I think honestly, the first quarter of that game is gonna tell tell us everything we need to know. Maybe even the first like six seven minutes, because if the ugh, God that guard rotation is something else. Yeah, I mean they they should be. I feel like they should be fine with the starters. It's just 
Doc has to get real creative tonight, I think, with – I don't know if you could go like a full bench lineup or even like four bench guys. I almost feel like you have to keep two starters on the court at like all times. You know what they might do? They might – so I, I mentioned it briefly. They might play uh, Trez and Zubots together a little bit because – that puts Trez at the four. It could slide Harkless to three. You get Kawhi at two minutes, maybe. And then kind of just go from there. Like, because you could play Kawhi at the, because he's played some two briefly this season. And like, he could play the two when Paul's like resting, maybe. Yeah. And that's like how you alleviate some of that. Uh, it's, yeah, but that's, that's a creative fix that they're going to have to figure out. Yeah. Um, That's so, also why Doc Rivers gets paid the big bucks and I don't. So. <laughs> Long day at work. Tough day at school. Still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code CLIPPERS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code CLIPPERS. Don't forget, that's promo code CLIPPERS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. We'll we'll see. Uh, now now I kind of wish I was at at this game uh, to to talk to Doc about the weird stuff he's going to do tonight. Um, but let, let's uh, before we wrap up in the next kind of few minutes, let's get into um, some of the young guys and the zone defense. Those are those are a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, let, let's start with the defense. Um, so I, I just wrote about how in talking to some people around the team and talking to some of the players, uh, you know, they've kind of their mentality, especially being shorthanded already, even, you know, when uh, kind of everyone that's healthy is playing, but particularly when Kawhi rests, they they kind of enter those games as just like, let's get a win by any means possible. It doesn't matter how we do this. It doesn't matter if it's ugly. It doesn't matter if the score is 95-90. Like, we just need to get a, a win. We're, we're not going for style points in these games. It's it's literally like a war out there. Like, a let's win's just, a win. A win's doesn't a win. Matter how you get it. Um, so they're they're four and three. I, I've been interested with their identity without Kawhi because they're, you know, we saw last season Toronto had great success. And as I, I, I looked into the games that they played without Kawhi, they were very strategic and, um, you know, took the approach that I think some people were wanting the Clippers to take with Kawhi in terms of rest him in the easiest games possible. So, uh, you know, I went back and looked and it was like uh, they, they rested him twice against the Bulls, who were who were really bad last year. The, the Wizards, the Cavs, the Knicks, like they were, you know, so right there, that's eight games that you know, and most of those were actually blowouts uh, in favor of the Raptors. So it was like right away, eight and zero. Uh, you know, so there were seventeen and five without Kawhi, but eight wins 
against cupcake teams, like, you know, just terrible teams that didn't even win 30 games and, and we're just, you know, obviously horrible. So like, that's the advantage of being in the East. You, you play those teams, you know, three, four times. And so, so, you know, the Raptors did have a built-in advantage with their schedule of playing so many Eastern conference teams and, and still being that East West disparity towards the bottom of the conference. Uh, so, you know, just off of that alone, I think we all kind of assume that the Clippers wouldn't have as good of a record without Kawhi as the Raptors did last year. But so far, they're four and three. Uh, they started 0 and 2 with the losses at Utah and, and home to Milwaukee. And those were kind of the, the matchups where people were like, why are you resting him in the harder game? Although I think it, it, it made some sense where, like, Utah, he didn't have to travel to Utah. Uh, Milwaukee, that one was kind of, you could look at it either way, but. I think they wanted him to have more rest before his next game versus playing in that game than having more rest in the game after that for whatever reason. But anyway, since then, they've gone four and one without Kawhi. Uh, The big reason for that is Paul George came back and now they're they're four and one in the games with Paul and and no Kawhi. But uh, one of the things they've done in these games without Kawhi, especially more recently, has been going to this two, three zone. Uh, this is something that Doc has used in the past, e- even in you know previous seasons, kind of randomly, but something that they've really gone to more this season, um, particularly, you know, again in in more recent games, that Indiana game was was their season high in zone. Um, they've also gone to this one-two-two press that they they've also kind of used more in games that Kawhi has sat out. Um, so they, they've also used them in games that Kawhi's played in, but you you've really kind of seen the gimmick. Uh, a little bit more when he's out. And I think it speaks to a lot of things, right? Like he, um, as I wrote, like the the Clippers are actually worse. When Kawhi's out, they're actually worse defensively than they are offensively. You would think they'd struggle more on the offensive end, but it's been a bigger hit to the defense than the offense uh, this season. And I think you kind of see that where Kawhi's out, like now, especially with how shorthanded they are, it's it's a lot of mo. It's, you know, PG still getting his, his footing, although he's looked, really good recently, especially in that Toronto game. Um, Pat has like sneakily gotten beat off the dribble a lot this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then Landry, who's become a solid defender, has been out. Uh, and then it's, you know, Rodney's been in and out of the lineup. And then it's like Jerome and Terrence and um, I, I don't know who else I'm, I'm missing. But like the, the perimeter defense hasn't always been there. And I, I think – in those matchups without Kawhi, you just kind of got to muck the game up, got to, you know, just make things ugly. And I think that's what they've kind of tried to do. So how do you see the the kind of identity without Kawhi? How, how do you think they've gone about building that? And um, how do you think they've done actually with kind of cultivating some type of identity without him? Because we know he's going to miss another 10 to 15 games this season. And those 10 to 15 games are going to be really critical to, to win uh, in terms of seeding and playoff positioning and stuff. So um, h- how do you kind of assess all of that? It's kind of interesting because uh, in, as you wrote in your article, uh, 30 of the zone possessions they've played have been when, in games he's missed. So I ended up doing a, like a deeper dive because I was really actually curious about even like how – okay, because against Toronto, I think they ran it uh, 18 times because I wrote an article about it. And against Indiana was 17, and they so they ran a ton the last two games, uh, made up 35 of their 61 total zone defensive possessions for the year. 
So I got curious. I was like, how many times have they actually ran it with Kawhi on the floor? And it came out to 13. Uh, they've ran it 48 without him, 13 with him. And the 13 with him are actually kind of nuts because uh, the, the opponents are only 2 of 11 with two turnovers in those 13 possessions, which is insane. And I think it kind of speaks to how good Kawhi is defensively, especially off the ball. And also with Paul George on the floor together, that's kind of, and also with Mo Harkless, those are three very long guys to clog passing lanes and to recover to shooters and close out and all that stuff. But you're right. It speaks to how they're trying to maximize their chances at winning games in which he's not playing. And they've realized every game is not going to be a shootout. It's not like last season where they were in a lot of up and down affairs. It, this season's a lot different to where they're having to like, okay, you know what? We need to buckle down. Like for the next five minutes, we need to every possession defensively, we need to be there. And I think they're just figuring it out on the fly. I really do. I think Doc, because the last two years, they didn't really run zone. I think I had a five possessions the entire, like five possessions total the last two prior seasons. And they're already at nearly 70 this year. They're at 61. And they're just figuring it out. And I think they're trying to re- – like, I think they're personally trying to understand how to get the most out of this team with injuries. And if zone defense is the way for right now, I think that's I think that's what they need to do. It's not pretty. It's not the greatest defense to play, but it works because how often do NBA teams see it? They don't see it for, for long stretches of the season. Uh, I think Washington runs it a little bit. I know Toronto does because of Nick Nurse. Um, but the, I think Boston with Brad Stevens has ran it a little bit when I was looking at it. But not many teams run it to the degree that we've seen the last couple games for the Clippers. And it's really thrown the offenses of the other team off. Especially, and I noticed this when I wrote my article with the video in it uh, about their zone defense was – they're using it in lineups or against lineups where the other team doesn't have a guy who you would kind of classify as a salt or not even solid as a good shooter, uh, especially off the dribble or against closeouts. They used it several times against Toronto when Toronto had like Gasol, Siakam, Powell, um, uh, Ibaka was on the floor for them. And I want to say someone else. Oh, Ananobi, which they all have good shooting numbers for the season, especially from three. But you wouldn't really think of them as great shooters. And the Clippers kind of maximize that bet of, you know what? There's not a lot of guys who can attack the zone off the dribble drive uh, out of those five guys. So there's going to be no real collapse in the defense and a kick out to a, to a spot up shooter. Let's just see what happens. And, and it worked. And it worked against Indiana as well because the same thing. Now, will it work against a team who has guards who can break people down off the dribble at the top? Hard to say. But that's also kind of the beauty of it is you don't know until you see it. Well, and, and that's where um, I feel like the 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 press has been so interesting to, to me because that's something you you really don't see um that that much in in the league and or you might see like a soft press but like they've been like pressing pressing with the zone and um you know that that one two two and one of the things they've you know they've said their goal is different guys had a different number but it was basically like if a team can get into their 
action at 13 seconds, 14 seconds, 12 seconds. Like that's a win for us because now we're, we've already cut down, you know, half of their possession. And, you know, doc was like, if, if we can't play defense for 12 seconds, like, uh, you know, we have bigger issues basically like, you know, that, that, that's a problem. So and that's also a data thing. That's actually a data thing. The longer yeah. you go into a shot clock, the worse your offense is. Like early shot clock offense, and this, that's also something else, and I mean to cut you off, but that's something else Doc has talked about is get into your offensive sets early because it maximizes chances at scoring because if your first action is stopped and you reset at 10, it's a lot better than resetting at five or four. Yeah, no, um, I, I think, and, and I, I think that it's just interesting to me that they, they've done that. Uh, because you just don't see teams press that much, and I, I think um, I haven't checked. I didn't check after the Raptors game, but I know after uh, I believe after the the um, the the Pacers game, I think they had pressed the like the fourth most possessions. Uh, I want to say it was somewhere in that like top five six um, this season. They're and they're fifth. They're fifth now. Okay, so. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's just it's interesting. But I was talking to guys because I was I was curious. Like, you just don't see presses that often, um, and it is. And and part of it, not only is it exhausting, but you really have to have the personnel uh, because. And that's what kind of everyone agreed with was like, if, if you're like a bad or okay defensive team, you cannot press because you'll just get obliterated and give up layups and and give up open transition threes. Like you really have to have your rotations set. And I think that's one of the interesting things with this Clippers team that I've, I've noticed so far is like, they're not great at stopping dribble penetration. They all kind of collectively like get beat off the dribble a lot, but they're so long and so good at rotating and that's where having like Mo on the ball and Kawhi and PG off the ball, I think works so well is like, you know, like Mo, like Mo and Pat for as good as they are defensively get beat off the dribble a lot, but it almost works to their favor where now you're like, you're forcing the guy into Zubots. You have Kawhi and PG helping who are, you know, two of the best, I don't know, three, four, five guys in the league at, tipping live dribbles at just ripping guys Mm -hmm. and and blowing up actions. Like, so you have those guys as help defenders. And I almost feel like when this team is like scrambling and rotating, they're at their best defensively versus like actually trying to like stop a guy from like getting into the paint. It's kind of weird. It doesn't really make sense, but they're almost like at their best when they're at like a slight disadvantage. Um, they thrive in chaos yeah exactly and that's what and that's what the guys are kind of saying is like and that's what you have in that press where you're trapping you're rotating you know you you got to get back you got to communicate and like it's it's not you know it's not a man-to-man press like that 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 i think they'd get get blown by but when you have this zone and you're rotating and kind of taking up areas and it's all about helping and and length and, and rotations like that's where this team kind of thrives and and i think you've kind of seen that with that press you, you, you know what's interesting? Uh, I don't know if you remember the Phoenix team, the 48-win Jeff Hornacek Phoenix team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they ran that, not a ton, but they did it a little bit. They used to press because they had the three guards. And one of the things they used to do is they used to press with Isaiah Thomas at the front because they figured, well, he's not good on defense anyways, but if he's able to pressure in the backcourt, it kind of alleviates some of what we have to do in the half court because – like you don't have to defend for 
you know, 18 seconds in the half court at that point. At that point, when they get the ball across and they're set, it's like 12, and you're not really worried about Isaiah as much. So maybe the Clippers have done that just because they know, A, it's burning time off the clock, and if there's one thing that I think has been undervalued in the NBA, it's time. And if you make teams use more more clock, more possession time, that's to your benefit. Um and I think it's just a way to kind of maybe it sounds weird to say, but it allows some of the guards who haven't played a lot to get run because they can expend all their energy really fast. And then other like it, it saves other guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, like, I like it. It, it kind of it, it's almost very ecology in a way. Like you're just going to blitz teams with presses for a little bit, and then it's like, okay, you know what? Let's bring back in the regular guys and see what happens. Yeah, but the, the, you know the, the the issue or something that Patrick Patterson brought up was he was like, you know, the difference between the NBA and college is in the NBA, everyone can make plays, everyone can can kind of beat you off the dribble, even like bigger guys you might not expect. They at least have like a baseline level of like dribbling and playmaking for the yep. most part. So like that's why this press is so interesting is is it really is I just think it's a testament to the Clippers defensive ability that they're able to press, they're able to press so well and and it just kind of speaks to again like the personnel that they have and, and them kind of emboldening them and, and trusting them to execute a press um as often as they have. With all this pressing in zone, it makes me feel like I'm watching Syracuse. <laughs> well, they haven't. I mean, what's funny is, um, you know, people have. There's some Raptors fans that when I wrote that story, they were like, "Oh, you know, they're copying the Raptors. They were, you know, that, that that's the Raptors, um, you know, strategy." And I talked to some people with the Clippers. They said that's not the case. They have actually not tried to copy what Toronto did, just because the rosters are different. Um, you know, they, they, they don't have a Pascal Siakam or a Kyle right. Lowry or a Marcus soul. Like, you know, they, they don't, it's just way different rosters. Um, but, and the Raptors ran, uh, primarily a two, uh, I mean a three, two zone last year. So it wasn't, um, they, they had a one, two, two, like trapping half court kind of press, um, and, and a three, two, but it, it's just different dynamics between those two. Yeah, it's it's not the same. Like as much as I like Zubats defensively, Marcus is a better defender, so it makes it a lot easier in the zone if you have Marcus All back there. And Siakam's rangingness, Lowry Lowry's a, a good defender to very good defender. So yeah, it's it's pretty. You know what's crazy? You know who ran the most zone last year? Who? Eric Spolstra. I, I feel and it like makes that, sense. that. Yeah, they did it against the Clippers. Remember? Yeah. No, that that was very effective. They ran over a thousand possessions of zone last year. Wow, that's that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. Uh, so, quickly before we wrap up, um, I wanted to talk about the young guys, and it's it's been a bit of a weird time where, with so many guys out, I think you would ideally like to see some of the younger guys step up. Uh, Jerome, Terrence, Terrence is in the doghouse for whatever reason. Like I know. He's not perfect and he clearly has, you know, the the some bad turnovers. He, he can't shoot. Um 
not, you know, not only can he not shoot, but he's not a willing shooter. That's we've, the seen, we've seen it a little bit, you know, it's gotten better. Um, he's had his moments where he's, um, you know, there's a few games ago where he went like one for three from three and you're like, all right, like um, he, he's at least taking them, which is encouraging. But I, I think, you know, and, and fee, who knows uh, what, what, you know, doc, doc has called him an offensive player at this point, which is obviously a shot at his defense. Um, and, you know, said that, <laughs> no, he's not wrong. And, and he said that they showed in the, um, a film session, his, his first assist of the season in the G league. Uh, and uh, they, that they, they normally don't do that, but it's a testament to him not really passing the ball. So yeah. based on that, um, and I will say that this has felt a little bit more like um, seasons past where Doc has not, you know, like last season was kind of a, its own, you know, again, it was its own season, but uh, there were so many young guys in the rotation, you know, Shea was eventually starting and, and became a, a big piece for them. And, Jerome got more minutes and reps towards the end of the season. Landry obviously came in and started right away. Uh, so different team dynamic, but I think, you know, it's been a combination of the young guys have been a bit disappointing and doc, you know, because of the expectations, because this is a championship caliber team has, it's been a much shorter leash with some of them uh, outside of maybe Jerome who, you know, continues to kind of get chance after chance. But I'm curious what, you know, quickly here, like w- what you think about where the young guys are, um, how confident you are in them and, or, or not confident uh, and, and kind of just the, the state of the young guys at this point in the season. I'm kind of lukewarm on some of them. And with others, I'm kind of more optimistic. Like with Jerome, he's missed his last 13 threes, but prior to that he was at like 37%, which you'll take out of pretty much anyone at this point. Um, his defense has been fine, which is kind of shocking when you consider what he was known as coming out of college, which was not a defender, but a scorer and a shooter. Um, but it, he just needs something to fall, especially from three at this point. Uh, cause it's very hard to keep paying a guy who's not making threes when that's his, when he's getting so many open ones. Uh, Terrence. My biggest issue with Terrence has always been he's not a willing shooter, as you said. Like, that's the thing. I don't care if he's missing, but for the love of everything holy, just take the open shot. If it's – please, just take – like, he got yelled at in one of the games by Montrez to shoot the open corner three one time. And, he, like, during the middle of shooting, Montrez told him to shoot it because he knew that Terrence doesn't really want to shoot it. Um, his defense is fine, but he needs to shoot the open shots he's given. Uh, Fee – has shot really well from three since no, uh, like mid-November, uh, mostly in the G League, but it's like 43% or something. But that's that's his skill. His biggest skill is shooting the three, but he's not going to get real minutes this year, which you wouldn't expect him to anyways. Uh, so he just needs to keep developing that, but mostly the defensive end because he's not a good defender yet, even with his blocks, and he's not a good passer or even reader of the game yet, which – I think he only recently started playing basketball when he was like 17 or 18. So that comes with time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really weird to say that Derek Walton Jr. might have been the most impressive young guy on the team. (laughs) I think he's played the fewest minutes between him, man, and Jerome. Yeah. And it's just because he's a ball handler, a natural ball handler, a natural passer. Uh, He can make threes. He... This is going to sound crazy. It's like 
the unevolved Pokemon version of Patrick Beverly. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I like, I like Derek. Um, I mean, for, he for tries. me, he tries like, and what I, what I like is I think he, he's cerebral and not like, he's not some like offensive savant who's going to, you know, drop nine assists in a game, but like, you could just tell he's out there thinking the game and, and he just, he's in the right spots on both ends. And I, I feel like you can't say the same thing for Jerome and Terrence. And, and some of that is a, is a youth and experience thing. And, and you know, Derek's 24. Um, this is his second NBA season last year. He, he was playing uh, in Lithuania. So he, you know, he is a bit more experienced than, than Terrence and Jerome. But at the same time, you know, on, on paper, you know, he was the 15th guy. He exclusively played garbage minutes, did not play his first, you know, rotation minute until that Washington game, you know, three games ago. So the, the fact that he does look that much better than both of them, um, I, I will say I'm very concerned with Jerome um, and I'm concerned with Jerome to the point of. I wonder if he's out of the league in his fourth season. Um, like I know the Clippers picked up his, his option for his third year, but he, I just don't know what his NBA skill is. And even a guy like Terrence, who is, you know, has the, the has to battle that second round stigma of just, you know, just being a second round pick. You're not guaranteed anything. Um, you, you are going to, maybe people view you in a more positive light because your expectations are lower, but you have way less job security as a second round pick than a first round pick. And I, I think even so, like you see what Terrence can be. Um, I've talked about it before that there's some Ty Wallace in his game. Uh, I think he could be a better version of Ty Wallace, especially if he can actually make some threes and, you know, he could be a change of pace backup guard who, you know, kind of gives you that um, flexibility where you can, you know, if you have a Lou Williams type, you can put him on point guards. You could put him on wings. Like you can hide, you know, worse defensive guards uh, off the bench. And I think like Terrence has a clear skill set, a clear ability and, and kind of talent out there. I don't know what Jerome does. I still don't know. Like we, we were talking about it before the show, you know, he's gotten better defensively where he's not like, a, you know, at times last year, he, he was terrible defensively. And like, that was one thing that like improved through the season and has continued to improve this season where like there are actually some plays and possessions where he looks good defensively and just like pretty solid, but offensively, I don't know what he does at, you know, even an average level. Like, um, you know, we, we were talking about a little bit like in the G league last year, he was pretty good in the pick and roll. He, they used him as the primary ball handler and he was like a facilitator getting four or five assists a night. At, we have not seen that at the NBA level. That is not translated. Um, you know, he has been able to run some pick and rolls and and find his you know kind of mid range jumper in there. And um, but he's not a finisher at the rim. Uh, he's not a, like at this point. I mean, the one thing he was kind of billed at w- was a shooter, but he's shooting. Uh, what is he? He's at twenty five percent, or no? He's at yeah. He's at twenty five point point six percent for the season. And as you mentioned, since that Atlanta game, which was just a blowout, um, you know, ridiculous game, he, he had a career best performance since that game, he's shooting 17% on threes. And it's like how like you could go through a rough stretch, but if, if you're a shooter, you can't shoot 17% on threes over a 10 game stretch. Like 
it's and for the truth is with a lot of his threes are open. Like he's not oh, like, they're wide open. taking contested threes. So it's like if, if you're an NBA level shooter, you cannot shoot that poorly on open threes. Like especially, you know, this was a stretch. I, I'm most disappointed in Jerome because this was a tailor-made stretch for him to break out and, and, you know, sh- step up as I can play 15 to 20 minutes a night uh, while Rodney's out, while Landry's out, you know, while, you know, Patton and Lou are out. So I don't, I don't know, maybe Jerome has a, has a good game tonight, but he just has not taken this opportunity. He has not played well. And I, I think it's, a, it's, it's pretty disappointing. I don't see any way he's in the rotation once they're fully healthy. And I have legitimate concerns of his NBA future. Like not like take his Clippers future out because I, I don't <clears throat> see him being on this team past like next season. Um, I, I just, I have legitimate concerns of his actual NBA future because I just don't see what his NBA skill set is. Yeah. You know, this is the sound. You know what the biggest issue with him for me is? And it's not even just the, it's not even the fact he's missed 13 straight threes and that 11 of them have been wide open. It's, his confidence on the offensive end is gone. Like, you can see it. Because there was times in that Toronto game he would get the ball and he would be open and he'd hesitate. And he wasn't doing that early on. And now he's kind of, like, second-guessing whether or not he should take it, which has led to now actually ugly misses. Whereas early in this streak of, you know, bad missed shots – he wasn't missing horribly. Like there was in and outs. Like he would hit the like the inside of the, of the front of the rim, like stuff like that. But now everything looks off, and I think it's a confidence issue for him. And I don't know if it comes back because on the defense, it's weird because on the defensive end, he's confident. Like you can see, he's actually he knows what he's doing. He's been very good at actually blocking shots uh, from either behind or when he's on the hip of a guy. He'll he he blocks shots really well. Um, but his offense or his offensive confidence is shot and I don't know if he gets it back. And that's kind of depressing because you're hundred percent correct. I was excited for these Jerome minutes during the stretch without Landry and Rodney, because this was his chance. This was his best chance to make his stand for legitimate rotation minutes. And it hasn't happened. And that's the most disappointing part of everything is I don't know what's next for him. Because sending them back down to the G League might actually erode his confidence even more than it's already happened. And I just don't know if he survives that. I don't know if he makes it to year four of his contract. I really don't. I think some team will take a shot on him because he is a former lottery pick. Maybe he's a trade ship for the team. I, it's, it's hard to say at this point. But if Pat's going to be out for any period of time, if the Lou thing is more than just a one-game thing, obviously he's going to get minutes regardless uh, if they're because if they're out he'll get minutes for that but at a certain point it needs to stop being hope and it needs to start being production well and that's I mean and, and that's where it it's it's kind of frustrating because you know I, I you know I'm at practice I'm at shoot around I'm seeing like Jerome is always working on his three-point shot and it looks pretty good um and practices like you know he and pat go at it all the time you know since last season where they're they're kind of each other's shooting partners and and they're always having shootouts and stuff and um pat actually wins most of them which i, I think is interesting um but i, I think 
you know, with, with Jerome, like you just want to see what he can do uh, at, at a reasonable level. Like that, that that's to me is like, you know, I think that's the key to we've seen now with, with the way the league is trending. Um, you know, if you're going to be, a, I mean, obviously superstars are superstars. And like, if you, if you have multiple elite skills, like you're going to be fine if you have some weaknesses, but I think to be a, a high level role player, which I think at this point, like that's the upside of Jerome, like Jerome's upside at best right now is probably like seventh, eighth man off the bench. Like I, I, I don't see him developing into a starter. Um, if, if he's going to reach even that, like you, I think you just got to shoot better. Like it's, it's that simple. If, if Jerome was shooting 38% on threes, even if every if nothing else changed and he, he still had the same confidence issues, he still, you know, didn't have his ball handling and, and playmaking translate over from the G league. Um, you know, just the same, like, you know, still couldn't finish at the rim. Um, same stuff, but he was just shooting the ball better. Like all of this would kind of be, you know, secondary concerns. He'd be playing more. The, the team would be even better than they, it's been surprisingly good with him on the floor um, statistically, but although yeah, a lot weird. of that's been garbage time. Yeah, um, I've, I actually I had like a tweet thread about that the other day. I was like, do you know who actually leads the team in total net rating? I saw, no, I saw that. It, it's, it's 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 weird, and yeah, some of it's garbage time, but it's it's still weird. Like, and you know, I don't mean to harp on him, but nine, he's t- attempted only nineteen free throws in nearly six hundred minutes in his career. Like, he just doesn't get to the line. He's missed free throws when he's been there, which and this is gonna sound crazy. I admit it sounds crazy. You know what I would love for him to actually turn into? The last two years that Austin Rivers was there. Wow. Because Austin yeah. hit 37% from three. Uh, he wasn't making free throws. He was like 60, mid-60s or something. But, like, he played defense really really solidly to good. He hit his threes. He was a tertiary ball handler at times. Like, that's all you need. And if he got to that level – I think that's a win at this point. Yeah, I, I just I, can he get to that level? I I don't know. What a question! <laughs> can, can he be Austin Rivers? Um, but we got to wrap up here. Um, I know you got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. Um, I'm currently doing a live Q and A. Uh, I probably shouldn't even say that, but um, <laughs> uh, doing yeah. Um, but. This is fun. This is long overdue. I'm glad you were able to come on and we'll have to have you on uh, again throughout the season. Uh, but Justin, where can people find you on the Twitter sphere and um, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at flybynight. It's K-N-I-T-E. Uh, you can find me on Medium at uh, flybynight85. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm putting up my work. Uh, it's where the videos are going up. If you if you go if, on game days, I have a game thread for for Twitter. So anything you want is in there. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is actually great. I appreciate you guys listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That is at J O V A N B U H A. If you've not subscribed to the Athletic yet, I do not know what you are doing. Please check us out. Please subscribe. You can get 40% off with a special promo code. Go to theathletic.com slash clip city. Uh, you will get 40% off your annual subscription. 
you can check us out for a week with a one week free trial. And if you like it, continue to subscribe. If you don't unsubscribe, but again, I just, I just don't recommend that. Um, so I will be back in a few days. I'll be back a couple times next week as always. Um, so thank you guys for listening.